Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable and led by your spirit. We pray, amen. If you've ever lost a loved one, I bet you remember that last conversation that you had with them. Maybe you treasure the last words that were spoken between you. Maybe you regret them and you wish you could go back and do it differently. Most of the time, we don't know when our last moment with someone else will be, and this chastens us to always err on the side of grace with others. But when you get to say goodbye the way you hope, it's a gift to be treasured. I think that's the spirit of Maundy Thursday. That's what Jesus was doing on his last night with his disciples. John 13 verse one says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In sharing this meal with his friends and in washing their feet, Jesus was saying goodbye in exactly the way he wanted to. He prepared these ritual acts in part to give his disciples a memory of him that they could hold on to after he was gone and to give them a memory that they could share with everyone who would follow Jesus in the years to come. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. But in making their last memory together, Jesus was also giving his disciples a paradigm for understanding his departure. Even though he had explained it to them many times before, he knew that the disciples would be bewildered and confused by his death. So Jesus interprets his own goodbye when he breaks the bread and says, this is my body given for you. The supper teaches us that Jesus' life was ultimately not in the hands of Judas or Pilate or even the men who would nail him to the cross. The meal illustrates for us Jesus' words that he spoke earlier in John chapter 10 when he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. What we proclaim tonight is that Jesus' death was not the unfortunate ending to an otherwise hopeful ministry. His death was a gift, offered freely and for a purpose. And what's so hopeful for us as we share this gift in remembrance of him is that even his goodbye contains the promise of reunion. We don't hear it in John's gospel, but in Luke, Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. At his last meal with his friends, Jesus promised them that this feast would not be his last that his death would not be the end of their story together. This is one reason why we celebrate communion over and over again, because we eat in anticipation of Christ's return. As Paul said in our Corinthians reading, whenever we eat this bread, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So tonight's meal holds within it the sadness of Jesus' departure and of every departure that death demands of us but it also contains the hope of resurrection, the promise of the banquet that awaits when our host is returned to us and when all those who have fallen asleep will be with him and with us again. But tonight we have the unique opportunity to reflect on this meal through the lens of another act that Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. 
In John's Gospel, we don't have any real account of the Last Supper. The other three Gospels focus exclusively on the meal, on Jesus last night with his friends, but John focuses exclusively on the foot washing. He tells us the same story, but from a completely different angle. This is what John does. He likes to be different and unique, which is why I like him. So let's turn to John now. He tells us this is the night Jesus loved his own to the end. But then John tells us how. That's what the rest of the passage is about, what it looks like to be loved to the end. Because friends, love always looks like something. It's not an abstraction or a sentiment. Jesus defines love for us concretely by demonstrating it. We know he does this supremely through his death. As Romans 5.8 tells us, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And these rituals that Jesus gives us, they help us to understand that love. The meal and the foot washing, they're tangible and repeatable acts that allow us to contemplate Jesus' love with all five senses. And let me just point out right away that neither of these rituals can be observed alone. They require community, someone to give and someone to receive. Love is not an abstraction and it does not belong in isolation. To love implies a beloved. More on that in a minute. Back to John's Gospel. We read in the second verse of the chapter that Jesus rose to wash his disciples' feet during supper. Now this is a very unusual time to wash feet because Culturally, the appropriate moment would have been upon arrival, as soon as everyone got there, or maybe at the very latest it would be before the meal. But Jesus gets up in the middle of dinner, almost as if to say, let me explain what I've just done for you. Take the bread, take the wine, and in case you still don't understand, let me wash your feet. They're telling us the same story in different ways. My body given for you, Jesus says, doesn't exclude those unsightly or inconvenient parts of you. This is what love looks like. It looks like all of me for all of you all the time. That's how Jesus loves us. And as we watch Jesus, we learn not only what love looks like, or even what true power looks like when the master becomes a servant, As we watch Jesus, we begin to understand what God looks like. The book of Philippians puts it like this. Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Christian gospel is that God himself becomes our servant. He empties himself of divine privilege and becomes a human being just like us. And then he goes even lower. He empties himself of his clothes and wears only a towel for washing feet. Later, after he is betrayed, God goes lower still and is stripped naked and hung on a criminal's cross. It's the great scandal of history that God himself would make himself such a gift for us, that he would love us truly to the end. And here's where I think the foot washing helps us to really get in touch with this reality, this love. It helps us to feel the vulnerability required to receive it. 
It is uncomfortable to be loved so intimately, is it not? It's potentially humiliating to be seen so fully by God himself. This is exactly how Peter reacts. In verse six, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you stoop to see my filth? To touch it? Most of us like the idea of being loved, but we don't really want to be known. So we carefully construct a version of ourselves that we hope is interesting and likable, presentable. We're very skilled, in fact, at concealing those uh, uncomfortable parts of us, the metaphorical dirt on our feet, especially trying to conceal it from God. But what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. To receive God's love, we must be able to acknowledge our need for it. Again, not abstractly, but concretely. Specifically, we must let him see us and wash us. And this, of course, should make us think of baptism, the washing that we experience at the beginning of faith, this once-for-all cleansing of rebirth into God's family, the church. But as Jesus tells Peter here, there's also an ongoing aspect of this reality in our life with God. To belong to God, to be loved by him, is to be seen and washed by him again and again and again. Peter doesn't understand all of this when Jesus washes his feet that night. At this point in the story, Peter is utterly confident in his devotion to Jesus. But later, after he denies even knowing Jesus, after he fails to live up to his own aspirations of obedience, he would remember. He would remember the love that withstands even betrayal, and he would finally understand the invitation to come and be washed. And here we see the connection between Jesus washing the disciples' feet and his offering us the bread and the wine. Each week we come to the table in response to this invitation to be fully known and fully loved, forgiven, embraced, and cleansed. We confess our sins and we hear again God's forgiveness. And then we courageously come up out of our seats and come forward with our hands open to receive the very life of God. And think for a minute about how we do that here at Village. We come and stand in the presence of another person who looks us in the eyes. This is not a happy meal. This is communion. This is interpersonal. It's intimate. And if we're honest, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. I recently learned that the word reconciliation is derived from the Latin word cilia, which means eyelash. So the literal translation of reconciliatio is eyelash to eyelash. This is what we're practicing each time we celebrate the Eucharist. As those who have been reconciled to God through faith, we are then invited to come and welcome him into ourselves, to come face to face, eyelash to eyelash, with Jesus as we receive his body and his blood. When I first started receiving communion in a sacramental church, this exercise was very difficult for me. I grew up with a lot of childhood loss, and um, that resulted in some internal existential awkwardness, some shame, um, 
that I didn't really want other people to know about. And for whatever reason, when I would get into the front of church and a priest was looking at me in the eyes, it felt like he was looking right through my soul and he could see all of it. He could see the awkwardness that I felt, the shame, the vulnerability, and the fear that I tried to hide behind my churchy facade. In that moment in front of church, receiving the bread, I felt seen for who I really was, and it was terrifying. So some days, instead of looking at the priest, I would just look at the floor when I received communion. Other days, I would go back to my seat and cry and try to figure out what was going on inside of me. But over time, as I embraced this practice of receiving communion from the hand of another person, from my priest, I began to realize it wasn't only him who was looking back at me. It was Jesus. Jesus who knew and who understood my vulnerability completely and who loved me and who welcomed me to his table. And in exchange for my awkwardness, my vulnerability, my fear of rejection, Jesus offered me himself. He met me in my fear and my weakness again and again, and he healed me. He is still healing me, and he is still healing all of us. He is still washing us. This is the repetitive, persistent pattern of the Christian life, the self-offering of God and our reception of it. And this pattern forms us into the kind of people who are then able to go and do likewise. As we are washed and healed, we learn how to wash others. As we receive God's life, it begins to bubble up inside of us like a well of healing and refreshment for others. And we become the person on the other end of the equation, like my priest, whose eyes revealed to me the eyes of Jesus. We become the ones who stoop to wash the feet of those who betray us. And this cycle of giving and receiving, of responding to God's love by sharing it with others, this is a cycle that will never end, even when the Lord returns. On that day when he again presides at his table, when he is with us in the flesh, and it is truly his eyes looking into our own, we will continue to receive from him and we'll continue to share his life with those around us. We'll just be a lot better at it by then. One day the fear will be gone and only love will remain. It's in that hope that we practice together today in the washing of feet, in the celebration of the supper and in every moment of our life together. Amen.